continuing the book of Exodus. We are in our 40th message in the book of Exodus. We are at Exodus chapter number 20. We're going to be in verse, verse 17 today, finishing up our commandments. Last week in the sixth part of our message, the commandments of God, we looked at the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness. Through our study, we saw how dishonesty has become intertwined in our culture and how it, has come, how it comes naturally to us because of our selfish tendencies. We also discovered that this sin was not only against our fellow man, but it was also actually against God as well. This week, we're going to look at the 10th commandment, right? The final one, which is addressing our tendency to covet the possessions of others. This lustful desire is linked to our human propensity towards dissatisfaction and our tendency to gauge our success upon the success of others. The phrase, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence tells it all. Let's jump into our study here as we go into the commandments of God, part seven. Let's pray. Lord, we come, we come today just thanking you, Father, for the message. Uh, Lord, you know that this week I've prayed for you to speak to me, and I know that you have. Lord, and I pray that now, Lord, I can just remove myself from this message, and God, that you will speak through me, that the words that I will choose, the words that I will say, will not be the ones that I will choose, but the very ones that you would give me. God, I pray that you have, help us to have ears to hear, Lord. Help us to receive what it is you have for us, God. Help us not only to be challenged today, but Lord, help us to be changed. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Exodus 20, verse 17, our 10th commandment says, Thou shalt not covet, not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservants, nor his maidservants, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Okay? So he's look at the word covet. Okay? If we look at the Hebrew word for covet, that word is actually uh, hamad. Now, hamad, what's interesting about it is actually a, it's a neutral term. What it means is a desire. A desire, right? It would actually, if you could translate it directly, it would say to pant after, like <laughs> that's kind of what it means to pant after something. Okay, so this it's what's interesting about this. If you notice in the in the verse that it actually has some very specific qualifiers in it, right? Very specific qualifiers regarding this desire. Notice that he qualifies material possessions. Okay, he says you're not to covet, and he says not their house, nor their wife, nor their manservants, maid servants, ox or ass or anything. See anything that is thy neighbor's, okay? And we're, now, so what this is telling us is that there's different types of covetousness. Some are bad. We automatically want to put a connotation of negativity to it, but there's actually some aspects of covetousness that are not bad, but we're not going to get to that yet. We'll get to that a little bit further along, okay? What is sinful is the, in this commandment is the fact that we're coveting something that is possessed or owned by someone else, okay? So it's that aspect of desire. It's another manifestation of lust, right? We saw what lust is, and we've been talking about what lust is. Lust is a desire for something more than we have, right? We have that lust within us, that desire that's there. And there are certainly plenty of biblical examples of covetousness. We can find it again and again and again in the Bible. But we're going to focus on one specifically that we looked at before. About three weeks ago, we looked at in our seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. We looked at this, uh, back, we looked at King David, right? And we looked at his adulterous relationship that he had with Bathsheba. And we looked at how that adulterous relationship actually manifested itself, actually eventually in her husband's murder, right? And we look at the, the, the way that things kind of disintegrated in that relationship. But last time we looked at what his actions were, this time we're going to look at kind of his motivations. What caused it to happen? What caused it to happen? How did it happen? Okay. As I'm sure you recall, we talked about the root of sin back in 1 John 2.16. We talked about the roots of where sin comes from. Okay. 1 John 2.16 says this, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, 
but is of the world. And we applied that back into Genesis 3, and we saw how that applied to Eve and how she was drawn to eat the fruit, right? So we look at that there. But we're going to see here is the fact that all of these three areas of weakness, every human being, every sin is all rooted down in these three areas, every single one. And we're going to look at how David falls prey to him in 2 Samuel verses 11, 1 through 4, or chapter 11, 1 through 4. So here's David says, And it came to pass after the year was expired at the, same t- at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab. Now he was supposed to go, but he sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. He knew where he was supposed to be and he made a choice to do what he wanted to do. That would be the lust of the flesh, right? And it came to pass. An evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. That would be the lust of the eyes. eyes. Yes. And David sent and inquired after the woman. Man, he's coveting her. He's like, woohoo, man, check her out. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Talk about neighbor, right? This is his neighbor. This is the next door house, right? And actually, this is his friend, his confidant. Uriah is a man who has walked with David from the very beginning, when before David was king. And there were these men called the mighty men of valor, and they were men that stuck by David no matter what. And Uriah was one of those men, and he was trusted, right? And he says, with the knowledge that this is Uriah's wife, right, he lusts after her. Verse number three. And David sent and inquired after the woman, right? And he coveted there. We talk, I, just, I actually just mentioned that. But that's that 10th commandment, right? Not to covet thy neighbor's wife, right? And David knows the commandments. He knows them. Verse 4. And David sent messengers and took her. Hmm. The pride of life. I will have what I will have, whether it be right or whether it be wrong. I will get what I will want. The pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Right? All three. And it says, and she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she, were, and, uh, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. So he looked, he lusted, he coveted, and then he consciously broke the law, knowing that he was doing wrong. David allowed his covetousness and his lust to override his desire to please God. Consider that. How in the world did David let that happen? David is a man after God's own heart of all people. David is desirous to please God. He loves God's word. He connected with God. He's seen God work in his life. When he stood against Goliath, man, as a child, he's seen God do again and again and again and protect him while Saul was trying to kill him all those years, protecting, protecting, and then putting him in this position of power and using him and using him in great victories and doing all these amazing things. And David starts to get a little bit full of self. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to be where I'm supposed to be. And I'm going to look at what I'm not supposed to look at. And you know what? I'm going to get what I'm not supposed to get. And I'm going to have it for myself. How does it happen? James 1, verses 14 and 15. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Verse 15. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. In other words, you could put there beside death would be the word corruption. Corruption. And we looked at, remember we talked about in Galatians 6, 8, we talked about what corruption. We talked about that. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap 
corruption, right? He's sown into his flesh. He got what he wanted in his desires and his lusts, and the result is destruction. Not only will it carry into his family and into his children and through the rest of his ministry or his, his kingdom, that poison of that act is going to be there. And you'll see when God come and commends him at the very end of his life, you know, talk about how great David was. And you see this list of him, and he says, he was this, and he was this, and he was this. And it says, except for the matter of Uriah. He did just right, except for the matter of Uriah. Do we want to stand before God with regret? We want to stand with God before God because no one, no one we did the best we could. The battle against our flesh and his desire to sin is a daily fight. Amen. Your flesh wants to do wrong. Amen. It wants to do wrong, man. Amen. How many of us can attest to that fact? Amen. If your hand did not go up, you are breaking one of the commandments right now. Because <laughs> you're lying. <laughs> Because <laughs> we all deal with it, man. Every single one of us. 1 John 1, verses 5 through 10 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light. He's saying, look, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Right? First, and then it's verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. He says, look, there's no way you're telling me you're walking with God and you're walking in sin at the same time because those two things do not have fellowship one with the other. You either one or you the other, right? So as children of God, what we see here is the fact that my fellowship with God, I can go in and I can go out of fellowship. Yeah. I'm a born-again child of God. I am one of His. Him blood-bought, redeemed by the Lamb, unowned by God. My soul is saved, and I am promised an eternity with him. But my fellowship with him is going to fluctuate and vacillate back and forth, back and forth. Reason being, 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This isn't in your, in your notes. That everyone may receive the things done in his body. Notice this. This is talking to born-again children of God, and we stand at the judgment seat of Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, not for our sins, but for the acts in this body, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or it be bad. So one day, as Christians, I'm going to have to stand before God and stand there and give a testament for what I did in this body, what I did with this life, right? We're accountable to God. We're living this life not for ourselves, but for him. And I'm talking about the reason why our relationship vacillates, right? Let's imagine that Eric's my son. Now, I'm only seven years older than him. pretty impressive. But <laughs> if he's my son and I tell him to do something because I say, look, son, this needs to be taken care of. And he says, I don't want to do it. I'm like, well, I'm not asking you if you want to do it. I'm telling you it needs to be taken care of, and I'm asking you to get it done. You need to listen to me. I'm not doing it. Son, you need to listen to me. I'm not doing it. Runs out of there, right? disobedient, right? Now, what is our relationship as father and son in that instance when he flies out? Are we close? Is he still my son? Yeah. yeah. Will, it, will he ever not be my son? No. Let's say he goes out, and as he grows up, he becomes the most horrible axe murderer that has ever lived. He axes up like 10,000 people on his own. Do I still have to claim him as my son? Yeah. yeah, he's still my son. No matter how wretched he may be, he is my son. Because guess what? My soul is saved, 
but my body is not. This flesh is still wretched. This flesh is still drawn to sin. So that struggle is real. It's, rede- it's real. I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I fail God every day. Amen. Every day. And see, that's not going to be until we get our glorified body, right? This body is going to be a problem until I don't have it anymore. There will come a day when I will be redeemed. I'll be drawn up either through death or through the rapture. And I'm going to get a glorified body. And at that point in time, guess what? I'm not going to have to worry about any sin anymore because my body will no longer be an issue or a problem. But until then, it's going to be a struggle. Verse 7, he says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. So it's saying there, you can walk with God and in fellowship with God in your flesh, not because you're something special, but because the Lord can cleanse us of our sin. If, but verse number eight, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we have no sin, guys, we are lying to ourselves and we're trying to lie to God, but he knows who we are. Right? Verse 9, if we confess our sins, this is the key, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But I want you to notice it does not start with God doing the work. It's us confessing our sin. The responsibility lies with us. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, cleanse yourself. Cleanse yourself. It's our responsibility to carry our issues to the Lord. It's not his responsibility to draw them out. Will he convict us of our sin? Yes. But it's up to us to volunteer, to say, Lord, you know what? I need to get right in verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned and we make him a liar and his word is not in us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the daily struggle against the flesh is a fight that we all fight. How do we win? Colossians 3, 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate infection, evil concupiscence, covetous, covetousness, which is idolatry. And what's interesting is these are actually descending in order. And if we go back and we look at this, if we start with covetousness, which is where it starts, right? We start with the covetousness, it goes to evil concupiscence. This is thoughts that are inappropriate, right? Inappropriate thinking. Then inordinate affections. Now I start to desire this thing or this person, right? Then it says uncleanness. Now I'm stepping outside of the bounds of what's proper, And guess what? Once I step out of the bounds of what's proper, the next thing you know, I'm in fornication. Fornication comes from a word called, that's pornea. Pornea is the root word for, guess what? Pornography. Fornication. Fornication. And look at the end of that where it says covetousness. In that verse 5, it says covetousness, which is idolatry. Idolatry. Again, this points to the physical world, right? Because what is an idol? An idol is a physical thing that we worship in, 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 in place of God, right? So we see this covetousness, this command is pertaining to the physical world, and that's its main issue, right? In David's case, what causes his downfall is not the fact that he saw Bathsheba. That wasn't it at all. But it was the fact that he entertained the thoughts and his imagination, and he fed into this thinking, right? Billy Graham once said, he said, you know what? Thoughts are like, they're like birds. You can't control if they fly over your head, but you can determine if you let them nest, right? With that thought lands, you can go, "Uh uh-uh, this is not of God. I know where this is coming from. You can recognize what's God and what's not. There is no doubt about it. The problem is sometimes those thoughts land and we go, you know what, this is worth a little time. I'm going to make a little nest here. Next thing you know, you're heading towards corruption, heading towards corruption. 
Once he visualized himself with her and allowed his sexual desire to supersede his desire to please God, Bathsheba, Bathsheba became an idol, right? And it's in the mind where covetousness is born. We've looked at this again and again and again. All of these sins, the body does not go where the mind does not go first. Yeah, that's really we determine to do something here, and then we eventually follow through. The more we feed it, the more we will take action. In our humanity, we see, we see something we like, then we decide we, we would like to have it. Then we convince ourselves we deserve to have it. And it's at this point we step onto the slippery slope of coveting. Coveting begins with the eyes. I see it, man. Starts with these eyes. Then the next one, it gets into the, I deserve. Mm -hmm. I want. I will have, right? I want. And there's another place where eyes show up in the Bible that I'm going to take a, we're gonna take a quick peek at, right? Who knows that the devil covets God's position, yeah. right? We've all heard that before. Yes. Let's look at Isaiah 14, verses 12 through 14, and let's hear about what he has to say. He says, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? Lucifer means light bearer. This is the name he was given before he fell, or actually right after he fell. That was his name before he fell, before he became Satan and the devil. Son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? Verse 13, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will will sit, upon, sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. I, 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 I. And guess what? When we covet, guess what we're doing? I, 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 I. We follow Satan himself. And it's destructive, man. It's destruction. It's destruction. The devil's covetousness was fueled by self and sin, just like ours is when we covet the possessions of others. We break this commandment every time we follow him. Proverbs 27, 20, listen to this. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of men are never satisfied. It all comes down to our natural tendency to never be satisfied. We're never satisfied. Nothing is ever enough, right? We may never take action, right? You may never get what it is that you covet, but it's not the taking, that's stealing. This issue is the desire. It's the desire that God holds you accountable for, right? It's this whole thing. The battle of our Christian life starts in our minds. This battle is a battle of wills, ours versus God's. The, Lord's human, the Lord knows the human mind and how we struggle with satisfaction. In today's society, oh my goodness, as materialistic as it is today, it's harder than it's ever been. Oh my goodness gracious. It's unbelievable. Think about this, right? Your phone is great. It's working good. There's no problems with it. And all of a sudden your neighbor, your friend, gets the brand new phone. And all of a sudden you're looking at your phone going, this is just not good enough for what I need. I mean... I mean, that camera, I mean, it's a, I mean my pictures are, these are garbage. I mean, delete all these are trash. I need a new camera. I really need a, I need a phone, right? Who's ever been there, right? Yes. Your neighbor gets a new car. Your car's driving fine. And you go right in his car, and you're like, man, it's so much quieter than mine. I need a quieter car. I mean, this thing's, and this air conditioning's much better than mine. Obviously, I'm going to die if I don't have real air conditioning. I need to get a new car. <laughs> we start convincing ourselves, right? Think about little kids, right? Little kids sitting at their table, and you give them a little mini candy bar. 
Man, they're like jacked up, mini candy bar, oh boy. Ripping it open, and all of a sudden the kid sitting beside him gets a full-size candy bar, boom. <laughs> this is garbage, I don't want that. Right? Covetousness, right? It's amazing. Little children, they pick up a toy that's not theirs. What do they say? Mine, 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 mine. Guys, we're naturally desirous of things that are not ours. That's just who we are. We all struggle with it. It's just burning, right? Because the burning desire to define our worth in the eyes of men, we falsely believe that, our great, that the greater our possessions, the greater respect we're going to garner in this world. And what happens is this is a dangerous place to be, right? As long as we attempt to get our worth from the things that we own or the things that we do, we're not getting our value from God. We're now determining our value by our environment and what other people think. And if they determine our value... They determine whether we're worth or worthless. That's a dangerous thing to put in the hands of people that you don't even know. Oh, my goodness. Think about social media, what it's done today, what it's done to our children. Amen. Right? Oh, man, this whole thing. If I could just get enough likes, if I just get enough people to follow me. And this week, man, this week I killed it. Man, I had like 1,000 likes. It's amazing. And you feel like you're on top of the world. Look, look, look what I've done. Look at the way people think of me. And the next week you get 50. And all of a sudden your worth goes straight in the toilet. And you go, you know what? I'm not worth anything. They, I mean, they didn't even like me. Last week 1,000 liked me. 50? That's 950 that don't like me. So guess what? I don't have any worth because they determine who I am. Wow. And there's people that are living that nightmare every day. We fluctuate through this thing of thinking that the world is going to determine who we are. And if you do that, you are giving them too much power and it will destroy you. It will destroy you because there will come a day when you're not the most popular and you're not liked. And guess what? Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for thou art with me. Amen. God says there is value and I see it in you. I see it in you. We think about that phrase. Yo, man, can I get some love? Can I get some love, man? Yo, can I get some love? People say that phrase. Let's talk about love. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Check this out. Even when we were dead in sins, wicked, despicable, unworthy of love, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He says, not only do I love you, not only when I save you, but I'm going to lift you up and you're going to be like mine. I value you that much that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Man, that's love. That's worth. That's value that the world cannot give. And it does not vacillate. It does not change. He loved you the day the same from the beginning to the end. Our love with God is not conditional. Our, good, our love with God is unconditional. You and I are supposed to love each other that way. We're supposed to be charitable, right? That word charity, when you see it, what that means is God's love manifested in a human being. It's not just the love of man. It's God's love revealed in a person. And you're supposed to have charity one toward another. We should love one another and value one another. 
What we have in possessions or accomplishments may give us validity in the material world, but they mean nothing to God. For you see, he owns it all. Psalm 50, verses 10 through 12. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Where the world may be impressed with our possessions, guess what? God is not impressed, right? So with this knowledge, why do we struggle with materialism? It's because of an overdeveloped sense of self and a belief that we deserve the best. We are a bunch of what we call me monsters. Me, me, me. Me, me, me. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 13. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. No matter what, you need to be rejoicing. And again, I say rejoice. Let me just repeat it just to make sure you got that. You need to be rejoicing in the Lord. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Your moderation means your lifestyle, man. Let your testimony of God, let it be revealed to the world. Walk with God. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And as you walk with God, communicate with him. Walk with him. Feel his presence. Pour your heart out to him. And it says here, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Wherever you go, whatever you face, whatever they may say, you can have peace. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Focus on the things of God and the things that he's done in your life. Not the failures, not the challenges, the victories. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace, he shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, and now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. What it says, they're sending provisions for Paul. They're sending him uh, resources so that he can survive and he can go forward in the ministry. And he's now receiving those things. But check this out, verse number 11. Not that I speak in respect of want. He says, look, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not telling you I need anything. He says, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, whatever is going on in my life, therewith to be content. content. I know both how to be abased, means I have nothing, and I know how to abound, have everything. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. It does not matter because I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He's telling us right here, he says, Paul is teaching us that the contentment should be in God, yes. not in the world. Because if your contentment's from the world, you'll never be content. It will never fulfill you. It will never satisfy you. Paul says, seek contentment. But there's a qualifier, right? We talked about it. It's talking about that physical world, that contentment in the physical world. When it comes to the physical world, we should be content. But when it comes to the spiritual world, we should never be content, ever. Having just listed the many spiritual gifts that God bestows upon believers, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. But covet earnestly the, get the best gifts. And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Covet the best gifts. When we see the Lord using our brother or our sister in a great way and we desire to walk with the Lord and do what they do and we covet their walk, man, guess what it does? It draws me closer to God because I said, what are you doing, brother? Man, I'm reading, I'm praying, my heart is given to God. Well, I'm going to do the same thing. And all of a sudden, what used to be a negative in the, spirit, in the real world becomes a spiritual motivator Amen. for us to be closer to Him. It challenges us to walk closer with God to get their experience. 
Again, we see Paul encouraging the brethren to covet the spiritual gifts of others in 1 Corinthians 14, 39. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy. He says, look, man, covet to do these things. You see God doing something great, covet to do it for yourself and forbid not to speak with tongues. It is a lack of spiritual contentment that drives Christians to strive for holiness, to surrender their will to God's. It's that desire, that's that discontentment that to study the Word of God. It's the discontentment in their spiritual walk that gets them to pray fervently. It's the discontentment that they struggle with that gets them to surrender to His call in their life. It's the discontentment that they feel that gets them to give their resources. And in some cases, give their lives. Because they're not willing to settle spiritually where they're at. I need to be more. I need to do more. I'm not doing enough. Not to be content. Being spiritually discontent reveals our humility and love for God as we strive to please Him and bring Him glory. Where being spiritually content, this is where you do not want to be. If you're spiritually content, this reveals that our focus is not on developing our relationship with God and bringing Him glory, but is in fact focused on ourselves and the physical world. We are now in the world of covetousness in the negative way. Philippians 3, verses 7 through 14. But what things were gained to me, Paul says, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, uh, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Listen to this. I've lost everything. And do count them but dung. He says, it's garbage that I may win Christ. He's like, I'm not worried about the material world and the things around me and all the things that the world values. I do not care. To me, it is garbage. I do not care because I, I want to be with him. And be, look at this, verse 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness. Look, my righteousness is garbage, right? Which is of the law. But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The righteousness of God. I can walk as a righteous man, walking in the love of God. Not in my own goodness, because guess what? I'm filthy and wretched. We all are. Verse 10, that I may know him. Look at that. That I may know him. Amen. Doesn't mean just have a relationship with him. That means you intimately, you know him. Right? I can be acquainted with you. We can be friends. You might know what my favorite color is, but you may not know me. My wife, she knows me. She knows me. She knows my good my bad, my best, my worst, and yet she still loves me. That's to know someone. And with God, if you're going to know him, you've got to talk to him. You've got to hear from him. You've got to spend time with him. If your time with God is here every Sunday and this is all you get, you've got a superficial relationship at best. And you know what you'll find yourself to be spiritually content? No problem. I'm good to go. Next Sunday, yep, show up to church, all set. But through the week, you're just good to go. No conviction. No desire to be in the Word. You're not praying. You're not seeking holiness. You're not trying to refine your life every day. You're just going, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. And the problem with churches in our nation today is people go to church feeling the way they are, and they leave feeling exactly the same way with a pat on the back. You're doing great. Just keep on rolling, man. Live your best life today. What a load of garbage. Your best life is not on this planet. Your best life is there. Amen. Set your affections on things above not on things of the earth, yes, right? What's, where am I at? Verse 3, we're on verse 311. 
I didn't even finish verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Listen to that. The fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. As I deal with the adversity of this life, I learn to be more like Christ. You're dealing with somebody, something hard in your life, and you're trying to forgive somebody. Well, guess what? When you forgive someone who doesn't deserve to be forgiven, guess who you're like? Christ. He's saying he wants to be conformable to Christ. If God's trying to conform me, guess what? There's going to be some stuff I've got to go through that's not going to be that I necessarily want to. But there's a, there's a purpose to it because when I learn to do this in this adversity, guess what? I become more like Christ. More like Christ. Verse 11. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. Listen to this. If that I may apprehend. He says, look, I'm trying that for which also I am apprehended for Christ. Brethren, brothers and sisters, you and me, I count not myself to have apprehended. I have not arrived, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I cannot change my past. For which also, he says, for, and, he says, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I'm trying my best. I'm trying to become the Christian that God's calling to me. I'm trying to attain what it is he expects of me. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now I ask you, does Paul sound content and happy with his spiritual life? No. no. He is discontented. And it's that discontentment that will push him around the world. It will be his discontentment that will allow him to be used. When he's in prison, to reach dignitaries and soldiers in Rome, before he's beheaded, God's going to use that man in such a mighty way because he was never content. And we have to search our hearts if you find yourself spiritually content, you need to take a deep look inside because it's dangerous. He was trying to be the best he could possibly be every day because his Savior was worth it. The question we have to ask ourselves, is he worth it? Is our Savior worth it? And what determines the answer to that question is how you see him. If you take him for granted... Maybe not. But if you wake up every morning and you realize, you know what? This is a gift from God. The grace of God, the love of God, the provision of God. And you search your heart and you realize how lowly you are before a mighty God who loves you. And in spite of our sin, we saw that he came down and got us. And he not only loved us, but he lifted us up. And he made us sons and daughters. That's the God we serve. That's the God who deserves our reverence. This world will never satisfy. But if we'll commit our hearts and lives to the Lord, he can, we can experience a supernatural joy, peace, and love with God that will dwarf any earthly experience that we've ever had. If Paul, with all of his accomplishments, wasn't satisfied, how can we possibly be satisfied? Search our hearts. If you find yourself spiritually content, take your eyes off the world. Because that spiritual discontentment shows or that spiritual contentment shows physical discontentment. And you're looking for more in the world. Take your eyes off the world. It will take you to destruction. It's not the answer. And it never will be. And if you're spiritually discontent, man, let's pour it on. Let's give ourselves to the Lord. Let's give him our very best, man. Because what did Paul say? I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, look, man, I'm doing my best to become who he wants me to become. 
I've been given a challenge. Let me take the challenge and run with it. If you find yourself content, man, get your eyes off the world because it will never, ever satisfy you. And you will always feel like, you know what? And you're always going to be chasing it. And covetous is always going to be a part of your life. And in your last dying breath, you'll be going, you know what? That hospital bed's better than my hospital bed. I wish they could slide me over that. That's, his blankets are much thicker than mine. I'm not joking, man. You'll be covetous to your last breath because you're trying to find satisfaction in this world. Paul says, look, everything in this world, to me, it's dumb. It's garbage. It doesn't have any value because my treasure is here. Guys, let's do the best that we can. Set our eyes on God and give him our very best as we keep the commandments of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for today. Pray that you help us. Lord, as we have read and gone through some hard scripture, and Lord, we've worked through these commandments, and they have been convicting to all of us. God, help us, Lord, to check our own hearts. Help us not be spiritually content. What a dangerous, poisonous place to be. Help us to search our hearts, God, and find that discontentment. Help us to never be satisfied. Help us to burn in our hearts to walk closer to you, to be more pleasing in your sight, God, to be more holy, to be more righteous, God, to be a greater witness, God, to have a a desire in our hearts, Lord, to become people that we are not today, but we could become through the power of God. Help us to desire, God, to walk with you so close that we feel your touch. We hear your voice. Like John, when he laid his head upon Jesus' chest, he heard the heartbeat. God, if we could just get so close that like John, we could hear your heartbeat, God. And we can. The more we submit ourselves to you, the louder that beat will be in our ears. Help us, Lord Jesus, to live a life that's pleasing to you. Cleanse those things in our life that should not be there and cling to those things that should. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, If you're here today and you say, you know what? Hey, I want to know God. Or you know what? I love God, but I'm not where I need to be. Or maybe I have a desire to love God, but maybe I don't have that relationship with him. I hear what you're talking about, that love for God, and I don't have it. I appreciate who God is, and I believe in God. Guess what? The devil believes in God. That does not make him a child of God. That doesn't make him one of his. He's wicked and evil. And guess what? If you've never received Christ as your Savior, you are wicked and evil. But guess what? So am I. I'm only redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I'm saved by God's grace, not because of who I am. And if you go, you know what? I'm lost. I do not have a relationship with God, but I want one. The good news is, I don't care if you're online, you're watching this and it's recorded, wherever it is, does not take a preacher. It is you and God. And he loves you right where you are. If you're willing to receive him, he is willing to receive you. He's done all the work on the cross. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wherever you are, it's a matter of your heart to his. And all it takes is a prayer. Not a magic prayer, not a ceremony, but a heart of a broken person calling out to a God who loves them. And the love is there. Your brokenness is up to you. If you want to receive him, I'm going to give you that chance. You can pray and receive the greatest gift ever and have a relationship with God that's eternal, that can never be broken. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, pray this prayer in your heart and mind. But remember, it's not the words, because God's listening to your heart. 
repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've let you down, that I've failed you, and I'm sorry. I'm asking you by faith to forgive me of my sins, to come into my life, to save my soul, and give me a home in heaven. I believe that you have the power to save me, and I'm asking you to do it right now. God, do a work in my heart and make me a new child of God. Thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.